Rain, rain, go away, come again some other day, I guess should be the mantra tonight for all-around Major League Baseball. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks a lot for joining us on this week's Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, where we sit back and talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. We're going to find out what's going on with the Cleveland Indians in uh, just about an hour as they're out in Los Angeles to take on the Angels in a late-night game for those of us on the East Coast, but for those of us... Here on the East Coast, in games that are scheduled down in Cincinnati, we bring in our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, good evening, and I understand the Reds are called off tonight. That's right, and I don't know when they're going to make it up if you look at this weather forecast, because it's supposed to be worse tomorrow, and uh, this could be a pretty interesting... Actually, I think this is a good a good thing for the Reds. I really do. I think they need a break. And uh, getting rained out a couple games, I don't think is the worst thing in the world. Well, Mark, I've come to the conclusion that the Indians and the Reds have the same problem. Neither team can score as much as the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> and you know what's scary about that? And I can't, I can't speak to the to the Indians and their offensive woes. Although it seems like they score a normal amount of runs, the Reds don't score at all. And what is scary about this is you look at their AAA team, there's not one player on that team that you could bring up. Not one. Certainly no position player. Uh, the best hitter they probably have in the uh, organization is Donald Lutz, and he's down at Pensacola, which is high A ball, or is that double A? I've forgotten now which, but... Uh, you know, he came up for the Reds a couple of years ago, or I think beginning of last year, did okay. But what's frightening is th- there's no place to turn within this organization unless the Reds pull off a trade. And it's really it's too late for that in some cases, and it's too early for it in others. Uh, a lot of other teams are not going to make a move this early, but the Reds are already seven games behind. And, Dave, you and I talked about this on opening day, yes, we did. With the schedule the Reds had, my my concern was this team could be eight or nine or ten games out of first place come early May, and that is now. It, it's not only not far fetched; it's likely. They, they play Milwaukee this weekend, the first place team. If they lose a couple games to the Cubs and they go into Milwaukee and get blown out, they they're going to be they're going to be back. A dozen games. They'll be they'll 11, 12 games out of first place the first week in May, and it is a possibility. And that is a horrid situation to be in. Now, we're going to get into more of this in just a second, but I want to tell you that our Ask Us segment is coming up at the bottom of the hour. I also want to give a shout-out tonight to our producer, Mark Greg Mitchell. The website, ultimatesports.com, ultimatesportstalk.com, uh, had a server problem earlier today. Greg got off of his full-time job, rushed home, and has been working for the last two hours on this server. And thanks to his expertise and technical know-how, he got the website back up and 
in time for us to go on the air just 10 minutes ago. So I want to give Greg a big applause because I know our thousands of listeners were waited with bated breath to find out what we've got to say about the Reds and the Indians tonight. Well, Dave, that makes all the money you invested in Greg's education all these years pay off. Yes. I, I should give out a shout-out to Hiram, Hiram College then, correct? That's correct. <laughs> There's a lot of things I could give a shout-out for Hiram about, and that's not one of them, but we won't get into that. Mark, we've talked about one player in specifics for both the Indians and the Reds. And that player over the past few weeks, his name is Kendry Morales. He had, let me get his stats here, last year for Seattle. He's 30 years old. He hit 277 last year, 23 homers, and 80 RBIs with an anemic Seattle Mariners offensive club. He is a free agent. Now, from what I understand, the rumors flying around, Mark, as I was looking at them today, the Brewers are in the mix for this guy. The Mariners are also in the mix. And the Orioles and the Athletics are in the mix. Now, here's the situation with him. You have to give up a first-round draft pick in order to sign him in the very next draft. So what is happening here is that all the major league ball clubs, according to... John Heyman of CBS Sports, are waiting until the draft is passed in June before they will sign him. That way they only have to give up a draft pick a year from now instead of in the draft this year, which is an interesting proposition. But what I also find interesting about this, Mark, is that the Brewers are in the mix for this guy. Everybody thinks he is strictly a DH, but they don't understand he can also play first base, which is probably the problem that both the Reds and the Indians have in trying to get this guy. Yeah, I, I don't think he fits into the Reds for sure, uh, just because of that of that issue. I think the Reds have to be a, a bit more creative. But don't forget, for the for the Brewers, uh, that surprises me, that they because they, they were in last place last year. I think they have a third or fourth pick coming up this year. That's giving up a lot for Morales. And the Reds, because they were a wild card, I think they have the 24th or 25th pick. So it's, you know, you're not going to get a, you know, you'll get a good player, but not a number one through 10 pick uh, like Milwaukee. I'd be real surprised that they would pull the trigger on that kind of deal, not because of the money, but because of that draft pick. Well, and the thing that they're saying is Milwaukee owner uh, Matt, uh, Atanzio, I always have a tough time saying his last name, Atanasio, that's how you pronounce it, Atanasio, has a real good relationship with Scott Boris, and that is the agent for Kendry Morales. But, like you said, the Brewers don't want to surrender that first-round pick because it is number three this year. Now, the A's... They're looking at him because they're not so sure that Josh Reddick, who's batting two ten with four RBIs, is ever going to be able to hit the baseball again. Baltimore is the team that surprises me a lot, Mark, but the the reason that they're interested in him is because when they signed Ubaldo and Nelson Cruz, 
they gave up their first and second round draft picks anyway. So if they sign Morales, they they figure they can get him dirt cheap, and all they have to give up is a third round draft pick. And then of course you've got the Brewer, or I'm sorry, the Mariners, who are still looking, and they don't have to give up a draft pick if they re-sign him. Well, I think these these rumors on free agency. Uh, p- potential uh, replacements is is far fetched for the Reds. I just don't see them getting into that market. <clears throat> they have invested so much money long term now with some of these young guys that if it doesn't pay off, as we have said in the past, this team is in deep trouble. Uh, <laughs> that one free agent isn't going to solve. Uh, I think the Reds have to do some internal shuffling and either put p- players in different positions or or move players back to the minors. And I, I want to talk a bit about what has befallen Zach Cozart. And certainly, to a far, far lesser degree, to your shortstop, Cabrera, where I don't think he has options left, and and they wouldn't exercise him anyway. He's too good. But with Zach Cozart, everybody's upset about, about it. They're mad at him. And it's not as if the guy isn't trying. He is trying. And he's he's a great defensive shortstop. But I'm afraid this guy is going to be so buried that, you know, mentally, when when you're in a slump like that, he's only 148. This guy could go over 8 or over 9 and be under 100. And what's happening is he's getting so down that he had, right now I figured it out, he has to hit 278 the rest of the year to bring his batting average for the year up to 250. He's never hit 250, or he, if he has, he's barely hit it. So the likelihood of him hitting between 270 and 280 doesn't exist, at least on the back of his baseball card. So you could have a guy putting up numbers of 200, 210 this year. That's not far-fetched, and it could ruin his career. My suggestion is you send him down to Louisville, get his head back together, and teach the kid how to go to right field. It's, it's, Dave, sometimes I sit there and watch these games, and I wonder who the hell is the hitting coach. He tries to pull outside sliders. He tries to hit a cut fastball, tries to pull it down the left field line. What's going through his head? And what's going through the head of the coaching staff to allow him to do this? So um, the Reds have to make a lot of changes, I think, and I think the first one starts with Zach Cozart. Well, there are two things that really, when I look at Zach Cozart's stats, and I'm looking at them right now, there are two things that jump out at me at him. First of all, he's had 81 at-bats this year, Mark. 12 hits in 81 at-bats over 23 games. But what strikes me is the fact that he has only struck out 15 times, which means he's putting the ball in play. That's something that I think is encouraging about Cozart. Now, what I find discouraging about him is his walks. He's only got three base on balls this year. Those are two stats that I'm looking at here. It looks like he's putting the ball in play, but he's not taking the walks. He's being over-aggressive at the plate. Well, over the weekend, he batted, I think, 12 times, and I don't think he swung at a strike. Not one. Not one strike that he swing at. And he's now missing the ball by six or eight inches. 
He's blown away by the fastball. He's trying to yank everything. Uh, uh, I've had some pretty good hitting coaches, including Jose Cardinal and some other guys who taught me how to hit. And this guy's fundamentals are so screwed up. I don't know how he fixes it during the season. And you're right. His on-base percentage is 188. And his batting average is 148. There are five pitchers with better batting averages than Zach Cozart. And, again, I'm afraid the guy is going to get so buried that he's not going to come out of it all year. And this could have a devastating effect on his career. This kid could hit under 200. And you don't want that to happen to a young guy who's got a lot of talent. But, you know, he reminds me of, remember Paul Yanish for the Reds? Yes. He reminds me very much of him. He, he dives into pitches a lot. He gets himself out chasing the slider on the outside corner, and they, they never throw him a strike. <laughs> and yet, you're right, he's only walked three times, has an on-base percentage of 188. He's slugging 235. That's hard to do. You think he'd get you know more than a couple extra base hits, but uh, it's really frightening what what is happening with this team because you have Billy Hamilton who's going to hit around 200, 220, 230 at the at, at best. You've got Jay Bruce who's hitting 220. You've got Todd Frazier hitting 244, and there's just there's no there's no help. And if it wasn't for the two catchers. Who actually are the have more hits together than anybody else on the team? I don't know where this team would be. And now Devin Mesoraco is on the DL, and he's driven in 13 runs. He's been on the DL twice, <laughs> and he leads the he leads the team. Well, you know as well as I do that my main concern about the Reds has been the inability of Walt Jockety to make any major moves over the last couple of years to improve this ball club. Not only do I think he is incapable of making a major move, I don't think he wants to. And I'm beginning to think that I'm not quite sure what's supposed to happen. This is going to lead me into probably a very controversial subject, which we're going to get into at the bottom of the hour. But what does Walt Jockety have to do with Bob Castellini? Does he have to have an on-tape interview with a girlfriend and project something else as far as the fact as to whether or not Castellini is going to leave this this team in, in his hands anymore. I just don't feel comfortable with the fact that Jockety can make a move or even wants to make a move. Well, did you notice that Castellini was at this series in Atlanta? And uh, No, I did not. You know, he, he wasn't there for fun to watch a ball game. And that team put on a pitiful performance the last two games. They got one run in 18 innings. They have seven or eight hits. And I tell you, the move I think, and you and I talked about this today in preparation for the show, I think the Reds are going to move Phillips. His head is not in the game. He, he, he to me, looks like he's lost more than a step, maybe two, but I wonder how much of that is psychological or mental. And I think the Reds could package a Brandon Phillips, a Homer Bailey, and go out and get somebody that, to number one, would help their pay, payroll immensely, but secondly, bring a bat into this lineup that can protect Joey Votto. Absent that, absent that, this team's going to finish fourth or fifth, and I, I think the move would be if you got rid of Phillips and got something for him, you, couldn't, you can't give him away. He's too good. Uh, you move then, uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> 
uh, Hamilton. He moved Hamilton to second base, where he's played the last three years. And he's not as good as Phillips. I'm not saying he is. But you can afford to have a second baseman hit 240 if he steals you, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 bases. That's not bad. Mark, I think the move that they've got to make, I think the only team that can afford to take him on, and I think the team that can give the Reds back the most is the Dodgers. And I think they've got to go after Matt Kemp. I think that that's the move, especially, Mark, if you're going to move Hamilton to second base, you need a center fielder. That's Matt Kemp. Yeah, I still think it's going to be Puig. I think he's wearing out his welcome just like Brandon Phillips is wearing out his welcome. But, I mean, Brandon Phillips fits right into that Dodger lineup, and you throw in a Homer Bailey, uh, that, that that's a doable deal. Uh, the Dodgers need a fifth starter. The Reds, uh, they have a fifth starter waiting for them in Stevenson, and they got this kid down in A-ball who is just lighting it up. Uh, I think his name is Lively. Uh, 24, 25 consecutive scoreless innings, throwing 100 miles an hour. Uh, the Reds have depth in pitching. Where they don't have any depth is position. And they're going to have to go out and get a bat. And I don't give a damn what Castellini says or how they defend this. And, and I'll tell you what, you know, you get irritated about the, the, the TV situation in Cleveland, and I, I don't blame you about that. What irritates me about the, the Reds and the Cincinnati press, the Dayton press, these guys do not challenge that team. Marty Brenneman, I don't know why he has gone soft of late, but nobody in the broadcast booth challenges this organization because that's where they get their paychecks. So it's up to the, the press, the written press, to ask tough questions, and they don't do it. And what you just said five minutes ago about Castellini, why hasn't that come up? Why does he get a free pass when everybody who's got a brain in their head can look at this roster starting last year and say, hey, guys, they're not going to hit. They didn't hit last year. What makes you think when you lose two and you put Hamilton in center, they're going to hit this year? They're not. And he didn't do a darn thing about it, and I don't understand why he's not been called out. Well, the only I don't think you're going to get Puig out of Los Angeles. And quite honestly, Mark, before we get into the Indians here, I don't think I'd want to take on that headache. Uh, this this guy's having a tough time enough in L.A., and, and that's the type of city I think he wants to be in. And to bring him to Cincinnati, I think you're just trading one headache for another. You and I talked about Brandon Phillips. I just don't think, like you said... Brandon's head just doesn't seem to be in it this year. He seems to be angry, upset. I really noticed it in the game against Pittsburgh that they lost in the bottom of the ninth inning. I think it was the the second, might have been the first, no, it it was last Monday night that they lost that game in which Brandon misjudged the fly ball. I had no problems with that because it was a tricky spin on that fly ball, but it was just the way that he didn't go after it after he misjudged it, and Jay Bruce had to come in and throw home, and it went over Mezzarocco's shoulder, and, and the winning run scored. You know, I, I just don't know. Besides the fact, you know, we all know after this weekend, Mark, that Matt Kemp is no longer allowed at Clipper games, so evidently he's got to get out of L.A. too. I didn't hear that story. Oh, oh I know. Yeah, yeah, about Sterling, okay. Uh, yeah. Just one thing about Puig. Don't forget his connection with the Rawls Chapman. 
There is a connection there. They, they were buddies, I guess, at one time. And I, I wouldn't discount that. And, you know, when you read the press out in L.A., you read about Puig, and a lot of the writers have had it with him, and so apparently have some of the teammates. So, you know, maybe a fresh start for both those guys wouldn't be a bad thing. But to me, the key is you throw in Homer Bailey. And he's got a, he still has a high upside. He has value. He's not pitched well yet this year. And the Reds may have to eat some of the contract. But the Dodgers need that fifth starter, and the Reds don't. The Reds have people that they can put in there, including Simon, who was supposed to pitch tonight. And right now I'd rather have Simon be pitching than Bailey. But the Reds have to do something. And you have the statistics in front of you just like I do right now. And it's, it's pretty pitiful. And you can't blame Joey Votto. I hear people on the radio saying he's not producing. Well, I would never pitch to Votto in this lineup. No matter who is hitting behind him is not nearly as good as Votto. Why would you pitch to him? So, you know, he only has 10 RBIs. He struck out 20 times, which indicates to me he's going after a lot more bad pitches than he did last year. And he, you know, he, he still walked uh, 21 times, but that's a high strikeout rate for Joey Votto. They always say the old axiom in baseball, Mark, is the best trades are the ones you didn't make. Well, the best trades are the ones that you didn't make, but the worst trades are the ones you didn't make. And I think we can always go back to last summer when there were a ton of rumors going around, Mark. You and I both know that. You had talked to several people, your sources. I had talked to my sources that the Reds were in constant contact with Miami for Giancarlo Stanton and didn't pull the, tra- didn't pull the trigger on the deal. Yeah, I remember that rumor very well, that they, they wanted Chapman and a top pick. I mean, if, if Chap, Chapman being in Miami would make a lot of sense. Uh, and don't forget, at the time, Giancarlo Stanton was not hitting all that well. <laughs> and this year he leads the universe in hitting. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you have to have somebody behind Votto. End of story. And all this happy BS that you hear from the Reds that, you know, oh, it's early, time will tell. Uh, no, you're going to be 12 games out, guys, and it's going to be May. You need to do something now. Well, let me throw some numbers at you as far as the Indians are concerned. You know what's funny, Mark? It's not really funny. It's ironic. Both the Indians and the Reds have identical records at 11 and 14, but the Indians are in last place in the Central Division, which sounds terrible, but they're only three games behind Detroit at 12 and 9. Meanwhile, the Reds are in third place, and like you said, they're seven games in back of Milwaukee at 18 and seven. And both teams went three and four on the week, and the Reds split in their last ten. The Indians have lost six of their last ten. But like I said, the lack of hitting that this team has right now, and I'm talking about the Indians, is terrible. They're, they had five runs in three games at San Francisco. I'm sorry, San Francisco's pitching staff is good, but Ryan Vogelsong is not a shutout pitcher. Sorry, he's just not. Now, the down points to the Indians hitting, Carlos Santana is, he might as well go back to picking the guitar, Mark, because on the season, he's batting 122. 122, that's for the year. He's got one homer, 
and three RBIs and 21 strikeouts. That's on the year. Now, here's what he's done in the last seven games. His batting average is 0-5-0 with one hit in the last seven games and two RBIs. That's how terrible Carlos Santana is. But Terry Francona doesn't want to move him out of the cleanup spot. Now, I have not seen the lineup for the Indians tonight in Los Angeles. But you've got to get this guy out of the cleanup spot. Mark, you, I know he doesn't want to do the, the lefty, lefty, lefty part in the batting order, but you've got to get this guy out of the cleanup spot. Yeah, a guy who goes one for 20 uh, is not a guy who should be hitting fourth for you. And he, before that, he was probably hitting about 140, 145. And it doesn't take long. You know, again, he, he could go 0 for 8, 0 for 9, and now he's hitting under 100. And I, these managers sometimes, it, it just infuriates me that they, they go by tradition or they don't want to hurt the player's feelings or, or whatever it, they come up with as an excuse. But baseball, unlike so many other sports, is 100% a game of statistics and measurable performance. In football, it's hard to measure how, how good sometimes an offensive tackle is. You have to look at the film. You have to do some subjective evaluation, or even a running back sometimes. He can have one big run, and it sounds like he had a big day when he really didn't have a good day. But in baseball, it's, it's stats. It's black and white. There's so many at-bats that you can get an idea of how good a guy is, what he's performing at. And the Indians, with a catcher hitting 122 at this stage, you know, we're going into the second month of the year. It's still early, quote-unquote, but it ain't that early. And he probably has, what, 100 at-bats already or close to it. And it's going to take him a long time just to get back up to 230, 240. And here's the batting order for tonight's game for the Indians and Angels, and Santana is the DH and batting cleanup. He's still in the cleanup position. Mark, they got to get him out of that cleanup spot. I thought going into this year, I really felt that Santana would be able to play a decent third base since they moved him from catcher to third base. I really thought he could play a decent third base, and his bat isn't what I was concerned about. As it's turned out, he can't hit anymore. And he's played a spectacular third base. It's been totally different. I, I just don't know what you've got to do with this guy. Now, here's his Drupal Cabrera, too. Let me give you his stats. He's batting two eleven on the season. In the last seven games, he's got five hits. He's batting two hundred with two RBIs. Then you've got Michael Brantley. He's batting two sixty four on the year, four homers, 19 RBIs. Leads the team in homers and RBIs. But in the last seven games, he's batted two oh eight with three RBIs. The Indians are not going to win if those three players don't hit. They're just not going to. Well, the other thing that I think you have to worry about, that at least so far this year the Reds have not had to worry about, is your starting pitching. And I know Masterson has not hit his stride yet. you got to believe that guy is going to get much better before the end of the year. But, uh, you know, you, you've had some challenges on, on the pitching side as well, and do you, do you think it was a mistake not to sign, uh, who was the left-hander that went to Oakland? Uh, oh, Scott Kazmir? Yeah, <laughs> the way it's turned out, yes. 
you know, I, I went on record as saying I didn't think he was worth two years at $22 million, 11 a year. Mark, if he keeps pitching the way he has been, absolutely it was a mistake. But I'm glad you brought this up. The, the Indians starting rotation, the top three, Masterson, y- yes, you're right. He has not hit his stride, but his last start was a very good one. McAllister and Kluber, both pitched outstanding. Kluber against Kansas City on the Thursday afternoon game, and McAllister in San Francisco, even though he lost. Pitched outstanding baseball. Here's the problem. It's the four and five starters, Danny Salazar and Carlos Carrasco. Now, I'm all in favor of giving these guys through the month of April, but I want to throw a couple things out to you. In Columbus, you've got Trevor Bauer and Josh Tomlin. Just to give you an idea, Trevor Bauer with the Clippers, 3-0 and in four starts with a 1.40 ERA. He's only given up four earned runs, 28 strikeouts, Mark, and only four walks. Josh Tomlin, on the other hand, coming off the Tommy John surgery, 1-1 one and one on the year, 2.77 ERA in four starts, eight earned runs given up over the year, and 18 strikeouts. You're going to have to bring one, if not both, of those two guys up. And you're going to have to decide what you want to do with Salazar and Carrasco. Carrasco's out of options. Salazar can go back to Columbus. I'm all in favor of giving him one more start because they'll both start before the month of April is out. After that, Katie, bar the door. Well, again, I think we got to take a look at our, our respective teams uh, as we go, we, we're, we're through almost the first month. The first month will have elapsed by the time we're on the air again. Uh, where are the Indians now, and where did you think they would be at this time of year? Are you talking about you want to do that tonight? Yeah, I, I'd like, give me your take. Is their situation, they're three back, they're under 500, same record as the Reds, are they performing as you thought they would? No. To, to answer your question bluntly, no. But I'm not upset with where they are right now. I can't be. They're only three games behind Detroit in the Central Division. Now, yes, they're in last place, but everybody's bunched together. When, you're, when there's only three games separating five ball clubs, Mark, I can't be upset with where the Indians are. I've got to be happy with where they are because... They've not played their best baseball yet. They're not hitting the ball, and they had trouble with their four and five starters all month long. So when I look at it, I see the glass half full rather than half empty. What do you think about the Reds? Um, It's half empty. Uh, I think the Reds are, as I said, they're in trouble. I don't see a solution. I don't see this team getting better, and it's not because of a lack of effort or it's not because of Brian Price. They just don't have the talent, and that's what really concerns me. They put all their eggs into a few players, and it's not worked out yet. And, again, I don't want to overreact to a slow start. It's not just their record. It's the way they're losing. They've lost nine one-run games. That's, That's unbelievable. You could lose that many games. And part of that's because of a weak bullpen when you got J.J. Hoover coming in and you know blowing up half the games he gets in. That, that's certainly a problem. But the biggest issue, as I've said from last October, is the team can't hit. 
and they got worse over the year, not better. So I am very disappointed where they are, although I can't say I'm terribly surprised. Mark, how many runs did you say the Reds scored in Atlanta? I think they scored five runs. Okay. They scored five. The Indians scored five. Got to tell you, the Columbus Blue Jackets scored three goals in tonight's game against Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's an One awesome game. rush for both teams, for the Reds and the <laughs> Indians. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment, and then I do want to get into the Donald Sterling issue, but only a different take from what the national media is getting into. Of course, you can send us your Ask Us comments to two different emails, askusordmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet with your Ask Us questions to at altsportstalk or at OHBB co-host. Mark, Jamie1530 at Yahoo sends in, and I do think this is a pertinent question, although it really is off the field, Alfredo Simon, the lawsuit, the sexual harassment lawsuit that was filed against him last week. Do you think that's going to have any in, any uh, repercussions on the way that he has pitched this year so far? Well, I don't know uh, if he's, you know, he's a human being, and it can't not bother him. The question is, is the field then an escape that he gets away from that issue? Uh, I don't know enough about the the charges against him uh, to make a judgment one way or the other. No one can. Uh, you have to wait and hear the facts and, and make make your judgment. But I don't know how you you quantify he said, she said, in a situation like this, unless there's some kind of um, physical proof that we, we've not heard about. But, yeah, I think it has to bother him. But, you know, some guys in situations like this, they use the field as a refuge. And they, they go out and blank out, and they just want to play and get that out of their mind and move on. Uh, you know, we'll see. But but he has pitched great ball so far this year. And it's, it's sad that it's the first time he's had – this kind of start, this kind of opportunity, and he's 32 years old. He's never made a lot of money in baseball, and it is kind of ironic that this young woman uh, seizes this time when he's had four outstanding starts, uh, you know, to, to levy her charges. I'm not defending him in any way. If he did what has been charged, it's a chance he could go to jail. And I, I, I'm not trying to, to dismiss what she her charges are. But if he was two and nine with a six point three eight ERA, I wonder if those charges would be filed at this point. Mark, I, I, maybe I'm missing something here, but I was not aware that this was a police matter. I thought, as of right now, it was just a civil suit. I, I thought the police had dropped it. If they have, I was not aware of that uh, because the last thing I read, I was up in um, in uh, Gettysburg when I first heard this. Heard a rumor of it. And if they if they dropped it, it doesn't mean it can't be reopened, and it does not mean he cannot be sued civilly. And if there's a civil suit, in many cases, the team will take, take the same kind of action as if it's a criminal suit. So if he is afraid of being suspended by Major League Baseball, suspended by the Reds, it doesn't necessarily have to be a criminal action. Of course, he wouldn't go to jail with a civil suit. But uh, I know she filed a report, 
I guess the weekend it happened with the police, if they dismissed it, that certainly, you know, takes jail out of the equation, but it does not take a lawsuit, nor does it take a possible suspension out of the equation. Bobby14 uh, at Yahoo also sends us in a question here about the Indians and says, do you think that Terry Francona is going to move Nick Swisher back into the cleanup spot? Well, obviously for tonight, that's not the case. Santana is still in the cleanup spot. But i got to say, Mark, Swisher, after a slow start, he was batting two eighteen, but in the last seven games, he's hitting three ten with nine hits and two RBIs in that number two spot. I would entertain that possibility. Uh, I would move Santana lower in the batting order. I'd put Swisher in the cleanup spot and either move Cabrera or David Murphy up to number two in the batting order behind Michael Bourne. Michael Bourne's doing an outstanding job, too. He's batting two ninety five, but four oh four in the last seven games. So, Mark, I think this is a team that, yes, they won last year. They caught the Magic. I think this team is going to catch the Magic again. But it's going to take a few more weeks for Terry Francona to tinker with this lineup. Carlos Santana, just for some reason, and there are guys, it's just inexplicable, and you, you've seen this throughout the years, Mark, just are unable to hit in the cleanup spot. They can hit anywhere else in the lineup, but they're just unable to hit in the cleanup spot. And I'm beginning to think that Santana's one of those guys. Yeah, I remember from my playing days, I, I never liked hitting cleanup. Uh, I did quite a bit. I, I never particularly liked it. I hit. I like hitting number three or five or even six because you hit down in the lineup and you get a, for some reason you get a lot more fastballs, <laughs> which I liked. But you know you hit sixth or seventh and uh, guys aren't expecting you to pull anything. And uh, I like hitting lower in the lineup. But you're right. There, there is some kind of psychological responsibility or, or you put it on yourself. Hey, I'm hitting fourth. I have to drive in a lot of runs. And you go out there and start swinging at bad pitches, and uh, you get a lot more breaking balls hitting number four, a lot of sliders, uh, a lot of long counts. And, uh, I, you know, I wanted to be challenged and have the guy give me his best fastball down the middle and take my chances. PR-14 access, and, and uh, you know, PR-14 sends us in a lot of questions, Mark, so I want to send a shout-out out to him. But PR-14 sends in this question. I think this is a real good one. Brian Price got ejected yesterday over a challenge that he gave that I watched it. I don't know what your opinion was, but I was convinced that the guy at first base on the pickoff attempt was out. He, he, uh, he was, I, don't, I don't know what they were looking at. I don't either. I don't think it was that close. It wasn't, it wasn't something that you would, if you were a brave and he was called out, and you looked at that replay, you'd say, oh, yeah, I guess he was out. Uh, I, I don't understand it. And if that, to me, of all the calls I've seen this year, that is the scariest one. Because in that case, he definitively was out, in my opinion, and they got it wrong. And if they can get that wrong, uh, God forbid they make a, a, a call like that in a crucial game in the pennant race, it, it really throws the whole system out of whack. It's supposed to be perfection, and, and it wasn't. That that was a missed call. Mark, I get what you're saying, and I agree. And after, what is this, the fourth week of the baseball season, maybe the fifth week of the baseball season, 
I know we've had an early returns on the replay system, but I've got to say it, it's not working. It's just not working. Uh, first of all, they screw up a play in Cleveland, and they have to come out two weeks later and uh, justify their reasoning for the transfer rule. Uh, they can't figure out where catches are, catchers are supposed to be as far as blocking home plate, if they're blocking it or not. I think the major travesty, let alone this one that Brian Price was ejected on, uh, was it Sunday that that happened? Yes. Okay, I think the major travesty was the one that happened earlier last week when they screwed up the the, uh, count, the ball ball strike count. And they went to the replay to try to figure out what it was, and they still got it wrong. (laughs) Yeah, you wonder... there's supposed to be somebody in New York, you know, watching all this stuff. I, unless it's Helen Keller, I, I don't understand how you can miss calls like that. And it's, it really is a little baffling. Uh, you know, some schmo in New York, maybe we were bothering him or something. Maybe something else was going on. But um, you have to get these things right, guys. I mean, that's – and maybe they will, but uh, that, that – Maybe they'll, they'll change the camera angles or something to get definitive calls made correctly, but uh, yeah, it, it's not worked out as hoped so far. Helen Keller? That's almost yeah. as bad as the one I heard the other day that Stevie Wonder could have seen that. Well, that was in my book, uh, by the way. That line. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you, but the, the axiom that they're using right now, the excuse that announcers in baseball are using right now, Mark, is that they've got a different angle from a different camera. Well, I'm sorry, when you've got Fox Sports doing the game and they're the only camera crew doing the game, what other angles do they have other than what Fox Sports is using? Yeah, I agree with you. And if they have a different angle, they ought to show it. Because the fans then won't get upset. If they have a definitive angle that we don't have that shows a play called one way or the other, that would certainly eliminate a lot of the consternation and the, and the debate and criticism of this of this plan. But that's foolish if they have it and don't show it. And, and I think Brian Price being ejected. Honestly, Mark, I can understand a manager coming out and arguing. And they eject him then after they've already checked it. But a manager coming out, and what I thought Brian Price wanted was an explanation as to why they called him. It was so blatant. It was so obvious that this guy was out at first base. He wanted to know what they saw that he didn't. I I truly believe that's what he was going out there to find out. And they wouldn't even give him the opportunity to do that. Well, the explanation is that the guys in the field don't know. They don't know any more than we know. All they get is a, a, a ruling from New York that says he was safe. We got a better angle. And, okay, then where is it? Show us. Show the fans. Show Brian Price so he doesn't go ballistic. But, you know, I don't blame Brian Price. That that was that was a bad call. Somebody screwed up. And if the guy on, on the field, though, it starts with him. How do you miss that play? He's 10 feet away from it. How, how does the base umpire miss that play to start with? I have no idea. I don't know what they're watching. I don't know what they're looking at. I just, I think it's so ingrained in them that 
they call them safe. It's just a routine play. They just call them safe, and I think it becomes habit. Well, I, I remember going to, uh, when we were playing some ball, they, they had an umpire school there at the same time, and we would sneak over and sit and listen to what the umpires were taught. And they said the biggest failing an umpire can make is or, or commit is anticipating a call. That you have, you know, you have somebody running to first base and <clears throat> he looks like he's going to be out or he should be out. And all of a sudden your hand starts going up that you're ready to punt, punch him out and he beats the play. So your body has called him out. Your head said, oh, God, he was safe. And that's how a lot of arguments begin, where the umps anticipate a call. And that is the biggest no-no for umpires. And, you know, one, I can understand that you fall into that trap. But if you're going to use instant replay, then at some point, why do you need umpires? Good question. Uh, you know, it's it really, aside from home plate, and that's what we're going toward, you, you can have even your balls and strikes called, but assuming you're always going to need a home plate umpire, <clears throat> why do you need somebody at first base if they're going to be overruled? I, I, eventually, you could have you could have 10 cameras on each base. You'd never get a call wrong. And why go through the charade of having an umpire call somebody out that you and I could call out from our living room, uh, you know, guys out by 10 feet, why do you need an umpire for that? What you need the umpire for is the close call. But if you're overruling every close call with a with a camera, why do you need the umpire? Well, I'm sure sooner or later, within the next 10 years, that question is going to be asked more prevalently than it will be here tonight. Yep, that's, you're, you're right. That's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Don't forget you can join us next week with this segment also, just simply by sending in your questions to ask us or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com. Mark, I'm going to try to do this next segment, at least I am, as uncontroversial as I can be. It has to do with the Donald Sterling incident. I'm not going to get into that too much, although my recommendation to anybody, and I told you this this morning, do not take the national media and what they are saying to heart. Do yourself a favor if you're this interested in it and want to make a comment about the Donald Sterling incident. Listen to the entire 10-minute tape and then make your opinion. If you still feel he's racist after that, I will admit that you've got a good case. But there are some mitigating circumstances in that 10-minute tape that I don't want to get into on tonight's show uh, that will probably make you realize, Mark, that ESPN, Fox, the national media, CBS, NBC, ABC are not giving you the entire story. That being said, the one thing that I found was extremely blatantly being reported wrong, which is the reason I called you this morning to talk to you about it and say we were going to talk about it on tonight's show, was the fact that everyone is saying that Donald Sterling should be forced to sell the Los Angeles Clippers because of his views just simply because 
Major League Baseball set a precedent by forcing Mard Schott to sell the Reds back in 1999. Now, I don't remember it that way. I do remember Marge making some different comments, some comments that could be considered racist. I, I will I will give you that. But I don't remember anyone forcing her to sell the ball club. Mark, you're down there closer to the situation than I am. What do you recall about that entire incident back in the late 90s? Well, let me stipulate that Marge shot was an idiot. And Marge Schott was a rich idiot. She was a rich idiot. Her husband had a car dealership down here, the Chevrolet car dealership, and he made millions. He was in construction. They owned apartments. They were a very wealthy family, and he died. And Marge took over. Uh, Marge was a racist. Uh, She called her ballplayers million-dollar N-word. That was her name for her players, uh, like Dave Parker and, and, and others, Barry Larkin and others. And... She made the comment, and this is what got her in trouble. It wasn't about blacks. It was about Jews. And she made the comment uh, saying that Hitler wasn't all that bad. I mean, after all, he built really good roads. No joke. That's That's what she said. And if you were in and around Cincinnati, if you were a Reds fan, you wanted to dive under a rock and say, please, let her go away. Unfortunately, baseball did not have the ability to take her her property away, which is the Reds. They suspended her for one year, and they threatened to do more unless she went out and tried to find a buyer. Now, she agreed to do that. They found a buyer to come in, I think, 18 months later, something, two years, something like that. But they gave her time to negotiate a deal and extricate themselves from this loose cannon who was embarrassing everybody uh, in Cincinnati and Major League Baseball. Now, I don't know the contract that they have in the NBA, but I can tell you one thing. Uh, Sterling's got enough money. Uh, he can take on the NBA. And if they try to take away his property, he is going to raise bloody hell. This guy's used to winning, even though he's a terrible owner of a basketball team. Um, and don't underestimate his bank account. And he could he could make this be real ugly if he wanted to. So Mardshot was not forced to sell the team. She was encouraged to sell the team. Had she not done so, I think Major League Baseball would have they would have had to have taken some extraordinary measures to get that team away from her. And I don't know how they would have done it. I'll leave that up to an attorney. But that's that's hers. She owned the franchise. She signed. She was a signatory to the major league agreement to have a franchise, and it's not going to be easy to take it away from her, and it wouldn't be easy to take it away from Sterling. And, and that's my point, Mark. I, I think the national media has taken some of these comments out of context, and there, one thing in particular. I'm not going to get into the racist remarks. Okay, I'm not going to get into that. You can take them one way or the other. Um, and, and again, I'm going to say the same thing I said to you this morning on the phone, Mark. 99.9% of the people that are making comments right now about what Donald Sterling said have not listened 
to the entire 10-minute argument that went on between Sterling and this girl. I, I thoroughly believe it's Sterling, but nonetheless, they've still got to prove that. But I, I would submit to you that one-tenth of a percent have listened to the entire 10 minutes. For example, when he makes the comment, I don't want Magic Johnson at my ball games. Just 30 seconds before he said that, he says, I don't want Larry Bird at my ball games either. The man is the owner of the Clippers. Why would he want Magic Johnson at one of his games? He's a Laker. Well, he wouldn't I, want Larry Bird there either. He's a Celtic. Well, let me uh, let me throw my two cents in here on this because, you, you, Dave, I, I don't think we can address this issue and not talk about the racist issue. Uh, and what I heard, I, and I listened to it twice, and what I heard, uh, Sterling never said anything about Larry Bird. It was her who brought up Larry Bird, and she said, well, what if I had Larry Bird on my arm or a photograph or something like that? And he said, I don't care. What I heard there were two different issues, and I think you bring up a good point to some extent. What I heard was an old guy near 80 with a, an extremely hot young girl. What is she, 24, 25? And she's gorgeous. She's half black, half Mexican, I think, is her lineage. And I, I heard two things. I heard a racist. The guy, is a, he's a racist, to be sure. But he was also an old guy not wanting his young, gorgeous girlfriend to be walking around and sitting with and taking pictures with good-looking black guys half his age. I think that was yeah. part of it. And I, I think a lot of it was... She baited him. When you when you listen to this, you wonder how a guy who's worth a billion dollars could be so stupid and as to fall into the trap of the questions she was asking him. He must have been drinking or something. When you heard those questions, the way she was asking them, she was setting him up, she was taping him, and she had told him, I'm going to get you, because there was some kind of legal action mm -hmm. they, they had in the background. But I heard a guy, in my opinion, was a racist. It's cut and dried. But I also heard a guy, an old guy, who was jealous of his younger-looking girlfriend and had other issues, aside from the racism, that were driving his, his angst and saying, look, good-looking young girlfriend of mine, I don't want your picture taken with a bunch of good-looking black guys that I can't compete with. I heard yeah. both. And, and I, 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 I agree with you. Okay. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. But here, here's another point that I want to bring up before we leave here tonight. The statements attributed to Sterling, this is a quote, are even worse than what got former Cincinnati Reds owner Marge Schott banned from baseball. This was a comment made by former Major League Baseball Commissioner Faye Vincent. This is a guy, Mark, Faye Vincent, that ought to go crawl under that rock that he is always hiding under until something happens where he can put that pudgy face of his out in front of a camera or a microphone is stuck in front of his mouth and he can make an even bigger fool out of himself than he did as a as a baseball commissioner. Say Vincent just ought to go away, just like Peter Uberoth has done, and, and I brought him up to you. 
Where's Peter Uberoth during all this? You notice nobody talks to him because Peter Uberoth has got enough class and dignity, even though he may have been the biggest jerk as a Major League Baseball commissioner, but at least he doesn't show his face and suck up to a microphone every time something is brought to his attention. Well, I do have some history with Mr. Peter Uberoff. I was on the board of directors at a company called C.B. Richard Ellis when he was there, and I know Peter pretty well, and I've been in bars with Peter at night pretty, you know, a few times. So I wouldn't hold him out to be you know, any kind of, of saint in any regard, but he's smart. He was a smart guy. Uh, he ran the Olympics. Uh, he was a good businessman. And you're right. He's kept his nose out of this thing. Uh, when he retired, he retired. And Faye Benson, I always thought, was a joke as a commissioner. And I, frankly, I didn't think that uh, the current commissioner was going to be much better, although I think he's improved over the last five or six years. I think he's gotten better. Uh, Bud Selig. So uh, I agree with you. I, I thought Faye Benson was just the worst commissioner I remember in my years following baseball. I don't know if you had anybody else in mind, but uh, he, I thought he was one of the worst. I, I thought he was absolutely the worst. Matter of fact, if you remember, the owners couldn't wait to show him the door. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. they were so they were so anxious to get rid of him that they brought in one of their own and Bud Selig to take his place. Yeah, and who was the guy who died? Who was the Pete Rose? Uh, Bart Giamatti. Yeah, Bart Giamatti. Now he was. I think he was at Yale at one time, and I heard a lot of good things about Giamatti. And I think if Giamatti would have lived. I think Pete would be in the Hall of Fame right now. I think he would have relented and let him back in. Uh, but um, Seelig just has this grudge against Pete because he blames Pete for Giamatti dying of the stress. Well, remember what the rumor was about this about that time was that there was a secret agreement, and, and a lot of people say that this was the case. There was a secret agreement that Giamatti would look back at Pete in five years and and let him back in if he took the lifetime suspension. If you remember, that that was a big rumor that was going around baseball at the time. And then Giamatti dropped dead a year later of a heart attack, and Faye Vincent could never forgive him for that. And Faye Vincent is the one that pressed the lifetime suspension, and Bud Selig has continued it. You know, Dave, I think it was a, m a month later that he died after the, the hearing with Pete Rose. It, it, was, okay. it was very soon afterwards that he died. And uh, for some reason, Seelig blamed Pete for that, and uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, hey, you, you always give a shout-out to some people. i got to give a shout-out tonight to a good friend of mine and my younger son's father-in-law, Dave Williams. He's in the hospital tonight. Uh, with a medical condition. Uh, came through it like a champ earlier today, and I just want to say good for you, Dave. Uh, get yourself well, and uh, we'll be seeing you later on this week. Just want to give him a shout-out this week. Mark, well, me, what, what do the Reds have going on? Well, the Reds have uh, the Cubs coming in for three home games this week, and then they go to – they're in – Milwaukee comes in for four games, so they got seven games at home. And honestly, it's, it sounds ridiculous to say that here in April that this team could be blown out of this race before the end of this week. It's, it's amazing, but it could happen. Mark, the only other time I remember it, 
was it 13 and a half games they were down in 75 or 74? Uh, no, it was seven, it's a year they didn't win. It was 11 and a half games they were down in 1972 against the Dodgers, or 73 against the Dodgers, and they came back and won the, won the division but lost in the playoffs to the Mets. Okay, all right. The Indians, on the other hand, they've got the Angels tonight. That game's going to first pitch here in just a few minutes. Then Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon game, which is actually a early evening game here in the East Coast. And then the White Sox come to town uh, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So that will do it. We'll be back next week, Mark. All right, David. All right, sounds good. Again, our thanks to Greg Mitchell for putting forth the diligence to get us on the air tonight after the servers went down. But most of all, our thanks to you for listening here this evening. I'm Dave Mitchell from Mark Donahue. Don't forget, we'll be back with an Ultimate Sports Talk show coming up Thursday night at 7 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. And we'll be back next Monday night at 9 o'clock talking about the Reds and the Indians. And hopefully it is going to be a better week for both clubs. Until then, for Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody.